money makes the world go round, or so the song says. And in many respects, that's absolutely true. Financial transactions have been happening for as long as time began. And the word money first appears in the Bible way back in the book of Deuteronomy, when the Lord tells Moses that the Israelites are to pay for their food and water with silver. And in our modern economy, we need money to live, to buy food, pay the water and utility bills, pay our rent or mortgage, clothe ourselves, just to say the most basic of needs. But the world also tells us many other things about money. Money talks. Money has power. It's a rich man's world. Indeed, I've just come back from Dubai, and those three worldly messages are essentially the foundations upon which the city was built. Dubai has built a whole industry on retail tourism. That was a new line for me, retail tourism, which means you travel six hours plus to shop. And having visited the world's largest shopping mall, I can see why this is the case. A little concerning whilst I was in Dubai that this top ten table popped up on Facebook. Um, you can see who's at the top, and apologies if anybody else is unfairly implicated in this, as obviously I am. How ironic, though, that as I was in the heart of the commercial district, I found myself driving along a road named Happiness Street. Here, in the midst of all the wealth and opulence, is that where happiness is to be found? So today we're continuing our series of famous verses in the Bible, and our verse from 1 Timothy tonight is perhaps one of the most challenging and most misconstrued verses in the entire Bible. But it's undoubtedly one of the most important ones for us to understand as Christians as we seek to live faithfully in our consumerist world, in a world that wants us to believe that money is the answer to everything and holds the key to happiness. Now, our title for today is, Is Money Evil? And that question is posed because 1 Timothy 6.10 is most often mistranslated as saying, money is the root of all evil. Now, on the basis of this translation, I could have treated us all to a one-word sermon in response to the question. No, money isn't evil. We need it to exist And more than that, having a healthy bank account or some savings tucked away for a rainy day isn't wrong. But the question becomes more complex when we look at the correct wording of the verse. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, the key word that changes everything here is love. And when we look at the original translation of the Bible, we see that this isn't affectionate love, but more greed, lust, or desire. A constant want for more. But it can also mean the opposite. The anxiety, worry, or pressure that comes from having insufficient funds to meet our needs, particularly when that worry becomes all-consuming. And I think it can also be somewhere in the middle where the bank account is healthy, but we look upon it as our security and identity. The problem isn't possessing money or not, but when money possesses us. So we're challenged to consider money not as the object that it is, 
but our attitude towards it, even our relationship with it. And that's what we're going to explore. What does the love of money look like in reality? How does that affect us? And how can we have a right relationship with money that is compatible with our faith? Now, you've probably got a batting order in front of you telling you where I'm hopefully heading. And it's good to keep your Bibles open as well on page 1194. Before we delve in, though, let's understand the context in which the passage was written and to whom it was addressed. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, who he describes as his true son in the faith. Paul has charged Timothy to oversee the church in Ephesus, which Paul had spent many years with. Now, Ephesus was a large, influential city where the gospel had flourished for many years, but was then tainted by poor leadership and false teaching. And at the beginning of the letter, Paul writes, Some have departed from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith, and turned to meaningless talk. Meaningless, but also lucrative business, as the beginning of chapter 6 implies that false teaching has become a means to financial gain. But the heart of the problem is later addressed in the book of Revelation, in one of those letters to the seven churches. And of Ephesus it says, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Love for Christ has been replaced with love for money. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy as effectively his representative on the ground to warn the Ephesian Christians of the danger of an unhealthy desire for money and the ruin and the destruction that waits on this path. But this isn't just a message for a community. Later in the passage, Paul addresses Timothy directly, saying, But you, man of God, flee from all this. So on the one hand, we have a message for a community, caught in the trappings of a desire for wealth, but also, on the other hand, a man trying to live honorably within a wandering city that has forsaken its first love. And therefore, I think this message has much to say to us all, both to challenge us about our relationship with money and to encourage us as we seek to live as light in a tainted world. So let's explore what Paul writes about the dangers of loving money. Firstly, Paul tells us that money never satisfies. In verses 6 to 9, Paul contrasts the contentment of a simple, godly life with the dissatisfied life that comes from always wanting more, when having enough never seems enough. Paul is saying that we should and can be happy with life's essentials rather than constantly seeking more. Now, one person who would have certainly agreed that money never satisfies was a lady called Viv Nicholson. Viv and her then-husband, Tony, were what the world would probably call today reality celebrities, when in 1961 they won £152,000, and that's the modern-day equivalent of about three million quid, on the football pools. Viv's declaration to the world's media was, I'm going to spend, spend, spend. And that was to define her and ultimately haunt her until her death in 2015. Because within five years of that then-colossal win, Viv had indeed 
spent the lot. Having no concept of how to manage and save money, Viv admitted to becoming so consumed by spending that she related it at one point to being like an addiction to drugs. Then, due to her out-of-control spending, she came to feel distanced from her community, who in turn could no longer relate to her, and she developed an even greater longing for a much more affluent lifestyle. Happiness eluded her, despite becoming very rich, and she led a very dissatisfied life. Secondly, Paul tells us that loving money leads us to temptation and harm. Now, the language that Paul uses here is really quite graphic. Falling into traps, plunging into ruin. It creates a picture of the desire for wealth as being like the most hedonistic lifestyle being lived on the edge of a crumbling cliff. One minute life's great, the next minute it's ruined. The gambler in Las Vegas, who's had a long winning streak and just can't resist one more roll of the dice, only to lose it all. Now, if there were a prize for the biggest gambling debts, Terence Watanabe in the middle there, well, he'd be the winner. You see, Terence was born to wealth. Therefore, he didn't need to work, and so he had time in his hands, and he didn't know what to do with it. So he turned to gambling. Throughout 2007, Watanabe practically lived at two casinos in Las Vegas. And he bet a staggering total of 800 and $25 million. At his rock bottom, Watanabe lost $5 million in just one 24-hour gambling binge. Terence is the ultimate example of falling into temptation and plunging into ruin. Thirdly, Paul warns that loving money's greatest danger, as if temptation and harm weren't enough, is that it causes us to wander from the faith. And unlike the suddenness of plunging and falling as a result of temptation, wandering from the faith is much more subtle. I climbed Scarfell Pike in the Lake District recently with a group of friends. It's quite a quiet day. There are very few people on the mountain. Uh, We didn't have a trained guide or anything with us because we had a map. And anybody knows, it doesn't matter if you can't read a map. If you've got a map, you've got a map. So we thought, we'll be fine. What we'll do is we'll just kind of keep a sense of the route that we took up to enable us to get back down. Well, not surprisingly, on the descent, without realizing, we had wandered off the path we'd taken and unintentionally found ourselves on a very different route back down. Now, while we did make it back down, the route we took was longer, more tricky, and more dangerous. A wandering is exactly like that. Everything looks fairly familiar, and so we think we're heading in the right direction, and often find it hard to realize that we have gone off track. Wandering away from God and towards an unhealthy relationship with money is the most dangerous trap for us today, as we literally don't see it creeping up on us. Now, US rapper musician on the right there, MC Hammer, has always been a Christian, praising God in his songs and securing fame with his rap hymn entitled, Pray. But with fame came money, and his once solid faith went off track. Upon recommitting himself to Christ, he recognized he had become, in his own words, a casual Christian. He said, 
Being a prodigal son took me away from the relationship I once knew. There came a point where I wanted to just get back home, get back to the place I once had in my relationship with Jesus. The most important part of what occurred to me was love. I was missing the love of God in the way I had known it. Now, the examples of Viv, of Terence, and MC Hammer, while showing the realities of the danger of loving money, are extremes. And you, probably like me, are thinking, okay, I can't connect with those. I can't see myself ever heading in the same direction as them. But can I suggest we look a little more closely? We might not be lottery winners. We might not have too much money and time on our hands. We haven't acquired millions to burn through fame and success. But we are all still susceptible to dissatisfaction, temptation, and wandering from faith due to our preoccupation with money, possessions, and lifestyle. That might be the dissatisfaction from seeing our friends with all the latest gadgets while we're just about surviving on an iPhone 5. The temptation to explore online gambling as a quick means of getting some money. The wandering that comes from anxiety about ever getting on the property ladder. Or perhaps just enjoying life a little bit too much and becoming a casual Christian, fitting God in when time allows. It's worth taking a moment to pause and to consider. Which of these dangers am I most at risk from in my life? Dissatisfaction? Temptation? Wandering? Something that just might take over me a bit too much? And what small steps might we need to take this week and going forward to keep our relationship with money in check? Paul describes the love of money as a root of all kinds of evil that pierces us with many kinds of griefs. It's like the toughest of thorny weeds in the garden, that though we take the surface leaves off, we'll get pricked by the thorns, and the weed will continue to spread unless we dig deep and get out the root of the problem. And this language is also used by Jesus in the parable of the sower when he warned of faith growing within the thorns being choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Now, Jesus often spoke of money through his encounters with others and through his parables. He knew the power and hold that money could have and the danger that an unhealthy relationship with it posed. And he made one of his most direct statements when he described money as a master. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew that money had the power to take over our thoughts, desires, anxieties, decisions, actions, and ultimately our lives, and could do so in a very subtle way that draws us in but never leaves us satisfied, that sends us down a dangerous path or causes us to wander away from God. Because it might not be big stuff, it might not be intentional or conscious, but money can dominate our thoughts each day for good reasons or bad and is constantly vying for our affection in a very subtle way. So how can we root out the power that money has on our lives and have a right relationship with it that is faithful to scripture 
and protects our relationship with Christ. Paul tells Timothy it comes down to two things, fleeing and pursuing. Fleeing from the materialistic thoughts and desires which can choke our faith, not conforming to the worldly messages about money, and pursuing, pursuing our first love, God, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. On these two things, Paul speaks directly to Timothy to give him personal advice on how to stand firm in his faith in a city that was wandering. And it's advice that we need to intentionally respond to if we are to serve only one master. So loving God, not money, requires discipline. Look at the words Paul uses in verse 11 and 12. Flee from, pursue, fight, take hold of. Intentional, committed action in stark contrast to the unintentional but deceitful wandering that loving money leads us to. What does that look like for us? Well, it means pursuing God as we might pursue someone in any other loving relationship. Spending regular committed time with him in prayer, listening to him through his word, and making our financial decisions in the light of his teaching, including our financial giving for his kingdom's purposes. It is trusting not in earthly treasure, which, as the passage says earlier, we can't take with us, but in the richness of eternal life. Secondly, loving God, not money, is a thankful love, recognizing that all we have comes from God. We arrived with nothing. Everything we have is a gift for him, from him, and we are merely stewards of the resources, financial and otherwise, that he has blessed us with. The love of money causes us to compare ourselves to others and leads us to desire more. But loving God reminds us what we were without him and causes us to be satisfied in him. The love of money tells us we never have enough. The grace of God tells us we have so much more than we ever deserve. The love of money leads to arrogance, as verse 17 warns, but loving God leads us to a place of humility and hope. We have a loving God who gives good gifts to us for our enjoyment and gives us a certain hope that the best is yet to come. We have much to be thankful for. And when we are thankful, our love for God becomes generous to others. Verse 18 commands us to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. God himself is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he designed us to live in community because loving each other is how we love him. Loving money is hoarding, maximizing our personal security and perfecting our own lives. Loving God is building up the body of Christ, helping those in need, and sharing what God has blessed us with to bless others. I'd like us to picture this fleeing and pursuing a little bit like the rev counter in a car. Because when we pursue money and all that comes with it and effectively flee, however unconsciously, from our first love, when we are dissatisfied, tempted and wandering, we're heading in the wrong direction and find ourselves way up in the red zone having tipped from loving God to loving money. 
And as Jesus said, we can't do both. We need to reset the revs, get out of the red zone, be intentional in weeding out the roots of sin, and get back home, back to our first love. Like the picture that the rapper had of being the prodigal son, when we do return, we can be confident that our father is waiting to embrace us with open arms. So it's good to reflect on where our own rev counter is right now and the extent to which we are fleeing from God or pursuing him, loving him with disciplined, thankful, and generous hearts. What small steps might we need to take this week and going forward to pursue God more and grow in relationship with him? Money has the power to pierce us with many griefs. Anxiety, greed, temptation, materialism are just a few. We are to flee from all of this by looking at the cross of Christ, where Jesus too, with open arms, was pierced. Pierced that we might receive unconditional love, abundant mercy, grace and forgiveness. Wealth in this world might be all about money, But in God's economy, it's found in the gift of his son who offers life to the full. This verse from 2 Corinthians sums it up beautifully. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God gave everything that we might be in relationship with him. Jesus Christ, Lord and King and dearly beloved Son, paid the price we deserved and took every kind of evil that we might wander into to the cross, that we might be free from the trappings of material sin and live a life of love. Happiness Street does exist. It's not found in Dubai. It's not found in money. But it is found in Christ When we pursue him, love him, stay rooted in him, keep our eyes fixed on him, he will lead us on a straight path according to his plans. But walking on Happiness Street places responsibility on us to continually keep our relationship with money in check, to flee from the temptations that might creep up, to be wise stewards of all that we've been blessed with, to be thankful in every circumstance and to be generous to others. Money might make the world go round, but it certainly doesn't buy happiness. True contentment is only found in Christ and is graciously offered to all who pursue their first love. Amen.